Am I live? Okay. Take three. As many of you know, I worked for many years as a respiratory therapist, 14 years in the medical field. And one thing I noticed during that time was that worry and fear have grown in our culture at epidemic proportions. During my 14 years in the medical field, I watched the prescribing of antidepressants go through the roof to treat things such as anxiety and worry and fear and depression. Not only due to the doctors prescribing them, but the people demanding something, anything to help them deal with fear and worry and anxiety. The anxieties of life come and the way people cope with them differs radically. For some, it's take a pill and make the feelings go away in any, any possible way I can. For others, they turn to prayer. Others deal with it in other ways. They go shopping. You know, we would like to think that worry and fear are, are really only characteristic of the unbelieving world. But I'll tell you, in my years now in the ministry and in biblical counseling, I have come to find that there is probably a 50-50 split in besetting sin patterns among believers as well. And that split is probably 50% struggle with anger, and the other 50% struggle with anxiety and fear and depression. It's not uncommon. It is a, a fact. And these things should not be for the believer, beloved. I believe God would have us to find peace and rest in Him and in His presence this morning. If worry and fear are vices, and they are, then the virtue to replace them with would be faith and trust. Faith and trust. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, if you will. Page 563 in those pew Bibles before you. This is a very familiar psalm for many of you. I I think it's probably one of the most memorized passages of Scripture. Even unbelievers know this psalm by heart. But it is a psalm of David. And David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm has brought comfort to many who have stood graveside and said goodbye to a loved one. A lot of pain associated with this psalm. But it has brought comfort, and my hope is that for you who have come here hurting this morning, that you will find comfort in it as well. If you are struggling with fear, with anxiety, with depression, with worry, those things have gripped your soul, I pray that this psalm this morning will bring you comfort. 
The background of this psalm, by the way, Psalm 23, it's written by King David. It, it says that plainly, although liberals would like to ascribe it to somebody else. But David himself, remember, was a shepherd king. David himself was a shepherd when he was a young man, 1 Samuel 16, 11. And in this psalm, he is sort of metaphorically looking through the eyes of a sheep, like an out-of-body experience. And he's looking through the eyes of the sheep, and he's seeing himself as one of the sheep in God's fold, in God's flock. And so this morning, we want to enter into that. We want to, in a sense, take the place of David as one of the sheep in God's flock and see our great shepherd this morning. This is not the only place in Scripture where God is likened to a shepherd, right? Psalm 28, 9, Psalm 80, verse 1, God is often called a shepherd. But this morning what I would like to do is I would like you to see two realities about our relationship with the great shepherd that will, I believe, free our souls from worry and fear which so easily lay hold of us. The first reality is that we need not worry because of his provision. You see that in verses 1 to 3 there. You know, one of the biggest reasons that people worry is because they feel that somehow they are helpless or they are alone in the world, that they don't have anybody. But David says here, look at the text, the Lord is my shepherd, I want for nothing. I shall not want, I am in need of nothing. It literally reads, not I lack or not I want. The Lord is my shepherd, that is Yahweh is my shepherd. You know, you, you kind of read by that very quickly and you don't really stop to think about it, how incredible it is to place those two thoughts side by side. God is the most transcendent being there is. He is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, and shepherds are the lowliest people in society. And yet David is comparing and he's, he's coupling these two thoughts together and he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. It's an incredible picture. It's an incredible thought to place those two side by side. And interestingly, the word shepherd here is not a noun. It's a participle. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it's describing God on the basis of what he does rather than what he is. He is the shepherding one. He is the shepherding one. And in fact, David lists several ways right here in the text uh, that describe how God shepherds him. Several ways. And four times in the first three verses. Look at it with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Notice the he. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. These are all ways in which David lacks nothing and in which God shepherds him. Apparently we're having sound problems. How is that? I thought they were scoring me back there for a moment. I was like 9.8. <laughs> Obstacles are part of life, aren't they? That's okay. I thought my voice was straining a little, but now I feel much better. Well, these statements, they really 
sort of group into two provisions, if you look at the text there with me. The first three sort of couple together, and then the last one sort of stands on its own. Grammatically, we know this because of the way they're phrased. Uh, in, in these three statements, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. What David is talking about here is refreshment for our souls. That's what the shepherd provides. He, re- he provides refreshment for our souls. And these are obviously metaphors. I mean, these are talking about spiritual blessings in the way that the good shepherd provides. If you look at it, it literally reads, the prepositions come first. In meadows grassy, he causes me to lie down. Uh, Beside waters quiet, he leads me. My soul, he restores. That's how they're actually phrased. Obviously, David is not saying, I have fur or uh, wool, and I don't go around eating grass. I'm not literally a sheep. Uh, What I'm saying here is that God is my shepherd and he provides all that I need and in particular, he refreshes me. These are all pictures of being refreshed. This uh, first phrase here, he makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. It's a causative verb in the Hebrew and what that means is that he, in a sense, causes me to recline or to repose or to lay down and stretch out in grassy meadows. And you, and you would think, you know, it's not such a big deal, okay? Sheep eat grass, and so it seems normal that they would recline in grassy meadows, right? Well, interestingly, you know, I have always wondered, what does sheep count when they're trying to fall asleep? <laughs> but Philip Keller, he... <laughs> He wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And interestingly, he says, you know, I'm a city boy born and raised, by the way. I am a city boy born and raised. I went fishing up in Big Bear, and I don't fish very well, you know. In fact, I've caught two fish my whole life. One was, I think, somewhat on purpose. The other one was suicide on the part of the fish. (laughs) But that's not the funny part. I mean, I, I threw the line in the water... And then I went over to help my son throw his line in the water, and I went back to my line, and there was a fish on it. So how much skill is involved in that? I don't really know. (laughs) But the funny thing is, I got the fish, and I brought it back to the cabin, and I said, look, honey, it's a salmon. And and we were in Big Bear. (laughs) There are no salmon in fresh waters, folks. It was a trout. It was a trout. I say all that to say, I don't know the first thing about sheep other than having seen one of their brains encased in acrylic in science, as most of you have. So I had to do a little research. And in fact, uh, Philip Keller, who is a pastor and an author and a former shepherd, says he wrote this book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And here's what he said. He says, sheep don't lie down very readily. In fact, There are four things that keep sheep from lying down. Fear, friction, flies, and famine. They are timid and must be free of all fear in order to rest. Socially, they will not lie down unless they are free from friction with other sheep. If tormented by flies or parasites, they become agitated. 
And if sheep are hungry and in need of food, they will not rest. So rest doesn't come that easily for sheep. They have to be made to lie down. They have to be provided for. They have to be cared for. Interesting also this this phrase, he leads me beside quiet waters. We tend to think of a sort of a glassy lake, you know, that's sort of a sort of an idea of no movement in the waters, but that's really not what's being communicated here. It's this is a plural and it's a plural of intensity in the Hebrew. And what that means is that it it carries the idea of the refreshing quality of the water. It's not talking about their movement at all. It's talking about the refreshment that comes from them. And interestingly, he says, he restores my soul. And there's a couple of possibilities on this, just so you know. It could be that he, he in a sense, uh, restores my soul, or it could be taken, he brings me to repentance. The word restore here is is the same word that's used for repentance, but in other forms usually. In this form, and with the object being the soul, it probably means restore. But you get the idea. It, the word in Hebrew for, for repentance is to turn around. The word for restore would be sort of to refresh and renew and to recover it. I guess the point is that these three ideas sort of wrap together. They all combine together to describe the shepherd's care for his sheep in keeping them safe and nurtured and refreshed. That's the point. That's the point. Sheep are helpless creatures, aren't they? Anybody who knows anything about sheep, they know that they have very small brains. They're very stupid. Interesting God would use that picture for us, huh? But it is sort of a vicious cycle, isn't it? I mean, we worry, which causes us to withdraw from our brethren and withdraw from our shepherd, which in a sense creates this vicious cycle. We worry, we withdraw from the shepherd, which causes us more anxiety and more worry. And the answer lies not in continuing to withdraw, but to drawing near to the shepherd to relieve the anxiety. When we sin, what do we tend to do? We tend to run and hide, or try to run and hide, I should say. We really sort of delude ourselves into believing that if we get away from God, he won't see it and we won't need to be ashamed. But the reality is, the only relief from it is to draw near to the shepherd, not to distance yourself from him. Why do we worry? Why do we worry? The good shepherd knows our needs. He provides everything that we need. And yet somehow we feel like it's not enough. Like we're lacking something that we deserve. But David is very clear here and he says, the Lord provides everything I need. Refreshment for my soul being what I need most in a troubled world. Secondly, he says he gives us righteousness for our paths. You see that at the end of verse 3? It's not just that he provides the paths to walk along. It's more than that. He also provides the guidance in the paths. He shepherds us. He keeps us on the straight and narrow. You know, it's, it's very easy for a sheep to wander off the path, isn't it? 
to get themselves in a whole lot of trouble, to wander off into the woods and get ripped apart by wolves, to wander off a cliff and take a lot of other sheep with us, right? Paths here is the idea of tracks, tracks. And what that means is, like when it's really rainy out and the ground becomes very muddy and a wagon wheel goes through it and then it dries and it hardens and it creates tracks in the road. So the wagon in the future can pretty much just run in the tracks. And that's what David is saying here. God, in a sense, our great shepherd, he guides us and he keeps us on the righteous or the straight tracks. That's the point. He, he keeps us out of harm's way on the straight tracks. I think what David is after here is I, I think he's talking about not straying into sin or, in a sense, uh, staying on the path of righteousness and not unrighteousness, not wandering off into sinful areas. And he says this not because we deserve it, but for his namesake. Do you see that? It's, it's not out of our deserving, but out of his goodness. Out of his goodness, he does this for the manifestation of his own glory. He provides for us out of his goodness. So we need not worry. You know, it's, it's no wonder to me that Jesus took these words to himself, right? I turn to John 10. This is a very familiar passage to many of you, but John's gospel in chapter 10 Verses 11 to 15. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves them, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Turn also to 1 Peter chapter 2. See, Jesus didn't just take this to himself, but Peter also ascribed this to him as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. God, in, in Christ, God has given us a great shepherd and a guardian for our souls. He provides righteousness for our paths. Matthew 9.36, remember, it says, Jesus felt compassion for Israel because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So sheep stray into sin. They wander. They drift. They go off the path. 
They get themselves in all sorts of trouble. In fact, you know, most of the Old Testament words for sin are actually word pictures of exactly that. Straying off the path, wandering, drifting, missing the mark. Sheep are helpless. They're helpless and they're stupid. But the one that we belong to is not helpless. He is self-sufficient. He is inexhaustible. He is utterly unchanged by time. So we lack nothing. We lack nothing. We have everything we need in him. He provides refreshment for our souls and righteousness for our paths. So we need not worry. We need not fear. He is deserving of our trust because of that. It is an insult to his care for us if we don't trust him. C.S. Lewis says, He who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. Stop and think about that. You can have God and the whole world, and you're no better off than just having God. He is our shepherd. He cares for us the way we need to be cared for. The second reality, if you will look at the text there, verses 4 to 6, he says we need not fear because of his presence. If you will go back to Psalm 23, we need not fear because of his presence. Verses 4 to 6. You know, the the eminence or the closeness of our great shepherd should calm our fears. It should quiet our souls like nothing that this world has to offer. There is nothing in this world that can do that for us. There is no pill you can take. There is no amount of shopping that will salve your conscience. Quiet and rest come in the presence of our shepherd. There are really two blessings here in the text, if you'll see that, two blessings of his presence. The first is consolation. You see that there in verse 4? He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Consolation is, is another word for comfort in Hebrew. And in the, the verb itself is naham, and in other forms it carries the idea of grieving or being sorrowful. Grieving or being sorrowful or it may even carry the idea of remorse. And in this form, I think it's probably better translated console. He consoles us while we walk through the difficult places. And this is actually a conditional phrase here. It's a conditional statement. In other words, it's, a, it's sort of a hypothetical, And if I could say it that way. He says, you know, even if I were to walk through shadowy places... Uh, even then I would not fear because you are with me. That's the idea. It's sort of a, a hypothetical statement. And, and this idea of the valley of the shadow of death here, um, some have said, because it's talking about sheep and shepherding, it's the idea of an illusion or uh, sort of a metaphor for the sheep traveling uh, in the seasonal passage from the lowlands to the high pastures that along the way they have to go through 
the wadis and the ravines into the places where the sun casts long shadows and the enemies can hide in the cracks and the crevices and pounce on the sheep when they're not suspecting. That's the idea. They, the predators hide out and wait for an opportunity to attack. So it seems that this, this darkness or this, this valley of the shadow of death here uh, represents sort of the uncertainties of life, right? The things you don't necessarily plan for. You find yourself in this dark valley. You find yourself a little bit afraid. There's potential danger, and God is still present with us. I think I, think I should say that e- even, even the righteous paths, back up to verse 3, even though he guides us in the paths of righteousness, that's no guarantee that he's not going to take us on a straight path through a valley, right? The idea here is that uh, we still have to go through the valleys and God is still with us and present with us at those times. He is our shepherd and he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never just lets us go on our own without being with us in those times. Notice the the tools of the trade here, if I could say it that way. He says, you're your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me, right? And the, the rod was used to club down the wild animals that would attack the sheep. The shepherd had two tools, really. He had the shepherd's crook to sort of guide the sheep, and he had the rod to smack down the wolves and the other predators. And I think here they're just a picture of God's constant vigilance over his own. His constant protection of the sheep. God watches over them. He cares for them. Nothing is out of his control or his care or his concern. He cares for his sheep. He watches out for them. And he, he only allows things to come that are from his hand. Imagine having the eyes of faith, if you will, just for a moment, to look at the rod as something that would bring you comfort. We don't really think about that, right? We take great comfort from the shepherd's crook. But what about the rod? When God disciplines us, uh, Hebrews calls him our loving father, right? Our heavenly father who dispenses discipline to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us uh, conform to righteousness, right? So, so even the rod, David says, with eyes of faith, even the rod brings me comfort. You know, James Boyce says, the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures, which lie beside quiet waters. He says, that is, the Christian life is not always tranquil, nor, as we say, a mountaintop experience. God gives us valleys also, and it is in the valleys with their trials and their dangers that we develop character. Boy, that's a word for us this morning, isn't it? We would do anything to avoid the valleys, but the shepherd sometimes leads us through the valleys. He sometimes puts us in those places so that we will grow in our trust of him. It's interesting, the The pronoun here is even 
indicating that when he says, you are with me, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's not even the normal with. It's relationally partnership with. It's not just there. Is Zach and Stacy here? Where's Zach? I have a I have a name for your for your next son. Where are you? Okay, this guy's name Zach is Stopford Brook. Is that a cool name or what? Come on, Pastor Dave. Stopford Brook. This man from the 1800s. Listen to this and listen closely. I think this is tremendous insight here. He does not only give us comfort that would weaken character. He gives us power, for the true comforter is the strengthener in pain, not the remover of pain. Do you you understand that? Let me read it again. He does not only give us comfort that would weaken character. He gives us power, for the true comforter is the strengthener in pain, not the remover of pain. God is our great shepherd, and he's our great shepherd because he walks with us through the pain. He doesn't keep us from it all. This is not a health and wealth gospel we're preaching here. You know what I'm saying? God brings pain for a purpose. He brings it to build character. I think that is a word for us this morning like no other. The answer to the sheep's fear is the close presence of the shepherd in those times when we need him most. Right? He's the only one who can protect them and to calm their anxieties. He's the only place to go. And by the way, look back at the text with me. It's it's no accident that the pronouns change here. Right? It shifts at a time when the psalmist considers the rough trials of life. And he shifts now to, you are with me. No longer he, but you. You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. He shifts from this idea of him to you in personal prayer here at a time when he starts thinking about walking through the valleys of the shadow of death. The idea is to run to him in relationship. And I'll just reiterate, God has nowhere promised to remove pain from your life. He has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you in the midst of the pain. But the pain is just as much in his power as blessing is. Right? He knows which is needed and the time when it is needed. He knows both, and he dispenses both according to his own good and wise counsel for his glory and our good. He brings us pain. Seeking to escape pain in life is not only unrealistic, it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. God uses trials to build character and the fruit of righteousness in us. He uses trials to conform us 
to the image of Christ. If we never had trials, do you think our faith would ever grow? If we lived comfortably all the time, what would our character be like? Character is forged in the hard places in life. God uses trials to build character and the fruit of righteousness in us. And if I could say it this way, resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Because it's for our good. It is a blessing. The second blessing that comes from his presence is confidence. See that in verses 5 and 6 there, right? He says, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, you read the commentaries on this, and it's kind of split 50-50. Some people think the metaphor is totally shifting here away from sheep and shepherd, and now God is no longer a shepherd but a sheik, and he's opening his tent to a banquet, if you will, a royal banquet. And so I'm not sure if I'm there with that yet or not. I, haven't, I kind of land right in the middle on this. But let me just say that if it is a banquet, then the table, if you will, the banquet table, and the anointing with oil and the cup filled are all pictures of ancient Near East hospitality. They are the idea of somebody coming in from an arid desert environment Their head is chaffed, their face and lips are chaffed, and so they would pour oil and and sort of moisturize the skin, if I could say it that way. They would would pour them a big cup of something to refresh them. They would set a table and have a feast for their guests. Unlike us, we go to Costco and get pizza. I mean, they they do much more for their guests. They invite them in. They, They care for them. So it's possible that that's what he's talking about, right? If it's, if it's still the sheep and shepherd metaphor, which is possible, it could be describing the shepherd going up to the mesas or the tablelands, the highlands, and preparing the place for the sheep to be safe and to graze. It could be uh, talking about uh, ancient shepherds. They, they used a mixture of olive oil and sulfur and spices. They would rub it in their sheep's um, fur, or whatever you call that stuff, wool. (laughs) It's a trout, right? (laughs) But they would rub that stuff in their wool, and it would keep the flies off them. It would keep the parasites off them. Maybe the cup speaks of God's blessing, if you will. So either way, I could go either way on this. In either case, I think what's What's being communicated here is the confidence that David has by being in the presence of his shepherd. I think that's the point. And either way, if, if it's being in the presence of a shepherd or being in the presence of the sheik, the idea is that the table is set in front of the enemies and he's not worried about it. He has total confidence that his host will take care of him. That's the point. He has confidence. No harm is going to befall me. Uh, Nothing escapes the notice and control of God, my shepherd. I don't need to worry. I can rest quietly. I can rest confidently. 
I'm safe in the arms of God. Verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Let me just say, this is the only place in the entire Old Testament where these two nouns, tov wechesed, that is good and loving kindness, where these two things are the subject of this verb radaf here, which is to pursue or to persecute. And look at it with me. It's a really aggressive term that usually is used to speak of an enemy's treatment of, of the righteous, right? And so the idea here is that you would expect David to say something like, my enemies, in verse 5, chase me down. But what he is saying is, good and loving kindness are going to chase me down my whole life. It's really an aggressive term. And he's saying, ironically, God's goodness and faithfulness are going to pursue me my whole life. I can't get away from them. It's really a a pleasant word picture of God's favor, if you will, chasing down those whom he loves and not letting them go. This idea of the house of the Lord here, this is pre-temple, so it's probably speaking of the tabernacle. Could be referring to God's presence. We don't know. When he says, though, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that's the point. It's not, it's in the presence of God is what he's after, and it's the duration of the time. It's forever. Uh, Literally, if you look at your margin note, it says length of days. It says length of days. I will dwell with him in his house for length of days, and he says all the days of my life in the next line. You see that? Uh, These are just... He's talking about the lasting nature of God's favor. It's forever. It's, it's for the rest of my life. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. And these terms, you know, we use this at a funeral a lot of the time because it seems like it talks about stretching into eternity. I'm not sure that's really what it's communicating. I don't want to let you down, but... But the reality is what it's talking about is the confidence that we have that God is with us for the rest of our existence here on earth. I think that's what David is after. David is saying, I'm safe and I'm secure in the presence of the Lord and so I don't need to fear anything. I need not fear. And this is how how it should be for the believer, don't you think? This is how it should be for us. The nearness of the Lord should bring us confidence. It should reduce fear's stranglehold on us, fear's grip. It's a death grip, right? It it holds us back from pursuing the things of God. It holds us back from serving God the way we would because we're huddled down and hunkered down in fear. I don't know what the future holds. What if? What if? What if? What if? 
What if God blesses you the whole time? You, you may think of all the worst-case scenarios, but even in those worst-case scenarios, what have we just said? God is with you. God is with you in those times. You don't have to avoid those times. Look at them as a blessing from God that he will grow you through those times. Don't just get through it, but grow through it. Right? You know, there are many things that people fear, right? Death. Death is a big one. There is that empty tomb there that all of us have an appointment with at some, at some point. There are strangers. Some of us are deathly afraid of strangers. The marketplace. Traffic. Elevators. Being buried alive in a box. But if God is with us, right, if God is with us or he is indwelling us, I should say, which is even better than just being with us, he is really with us, we should have confidence, right? To fear is to insult his very presence. To, to walk in fear is to insult who he is. You know, we think it's not that bad of a vice, right? It doesn't really hurt anybody else. It's just me. It's just my own little problem. But it does. It does. Not only does it insult God, but it keeps you from being all that God would have you to be for his glory. So how do we draw near to God? As I, as I said, he indwells us, so we really can't get any closer proximity-wise, right? That's about as close as you're going to get. But relationally speaking, how do we draw near to God? Well, we, we confess our sins, right? We confess our sins. We, we can pray. We can saturate our minds with his word. We can meditate on him and his attributes, and his goodness, we can worship him. And we can also just sit quietly with him in his presence. James 4.8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to his presence. The, the answer to fear and anxiety and worry is drawing near to God, not pulling away from him. Right? And we do that through his word and through prayer and through confession of sin. Not trying to hide from him. Which is what most people who fear do. They try to hide from God. So, let me just say what lies behind worry and fear, even in believers. And this is no different for believers and unbelievers is their lack of trust in God's provision and in his abiding presence with them. Matthew 6, right? 
Why do you worry? Why do you fear? Does God not care even for the little birdies that fall from the sky? Of course he does. Will he not care for you much more? I pray this morning that you would grow in your trust of your great shepherd, that you would overcome fear, that you would overcome anxiety, that you would overcome worry, that you would embrace your Savior in trust and in faith. Hebrews 13, I can't think of a, a better way to close here. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21, he says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we go from this place this morning, may we rest peacefully in the presence and the provision of our great shepherd. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for such a tremendous picture of your faithfulness to care for your sheep. Father, we are indeed helpless sheep, dependent upon you, our Father, for everything. Father, we thank you for your good hand of providence, which cares for us. We thank you that even in the hard places in life and in those distressing trials, in those times when we fear all hope is lost, that our Father, you walk with us through those times and you Comfort us in the midst of them, and you, Father, even use those times to build our character. Father, may we learn to engage our hearts more in trusting you day by day and not succumbing to fear and worry which would insult your very character. Lord, may you, as our great shepherd, encourage us through the word this morning. May we leave this place, our Father, walking confidently with you, as you go with us and are present with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.